Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Tonight I have as my guest, Ray Huntsman. Ray, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you being willing to be here. So we've known each other for many years, and throughout the years that we've known each other, I can honestly say that you're the kind of person who has that ability, if you will. I've seen you work with young women, and I've seen your attitude. I've seen your so upbeat. And I thought, you know what? Ray has a lot to offer. And so that's why I thought it'd be really fun to have you as part of this. Well, thank you. Yeah. So let me start out with a question. If you think back in your life and you think about experiences that you have had, think about ones that have shaped you and have molded you and the ones that really stand out to you and impact you even today. Where would you like to start with that? What experiences jump out to you? Probably the fact that my grandmother lived close to our home Mm -hmm. and had a big presence in our life. In what way? My dad was an alcoholic and my mom worked and my grandmother lived three or four blocks away and we were always welcome there and could go there. And she just had a love for her grandchildren and cared and was there when my parents couldn't be. And I wonder if, correct if I'm wrong, but I bet that had a big impact on you for you being a grandmother now. It does. And how mm-hmm. you interact with your grandchildren. It does. I wonder what my life would be like if she wasn't there. And I wonder what some of my family's life would be like if they had somebody like her. And I think that's why I try to be a big part of my grandchildren's life. No, that's great. That's something they'll always remember and uh, look up to you for. Now, you've had some tragedy in your family with some of your sisters. What has that been like for you? Well, my my dad was married before. I call it the first litter and the second litter of children. (laughs) My dad was married and had four girls, and he was divorced and then married my mom, and then they had three girls. And then my dad's ex-wife ended up being married, I think a total of seven times, had three more boys, and their life was pretty rough, I think. And at some point in time, all of the girls had lived with us for some time, and then they would go back and forth. And so I think my older sisters had a pretty rough life. You may have mentioned this, and I I don't want to get this wrong, but you mentioned you've had three sisters pass away. Yes. How has that impacted you? Well, I was the oldest sister of my mom and dad's marriage. So I think I always wanted older siblings. But, you know, when you don't live with the same siblings, it's hard to have that relationship with an older sister. Plus, they were quite a bit older than me. I really looked up to them a lot. But they had many different fathers in their home and a lot of abuse and was really rough on them. And um, I think unhappiness and trials affected their health in the long run, I guess. I've had one sister pass away of liver failure. She was on the transplant list. And then last year, I had two more sisters pass away. One of them of a toxicity. I think it could be related to liver and and things like that as well. And then one of ovarian cancer. And it's kind of interesting that all of them that have passed, we hadn't talked in years with two of them. And before they passed, I had somehow had communication with them and been able to tell them that I loved them and I wished things were different and... I think that made me grateful for that experience. And had they not been sick, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. 
Yeah, it's kind of a tender mercy, isn't it? It is. Let's say you are asked to write a book about your life. Let's break it into like 10-year periods. What would the chapter be of your first 10 years, your second 10 years? And since you're only 29, you know. Right. (laughs) What would chapter one be titled? Wow. Gosh. Chapter one is, uh, I'm trying to think of a name. Things I remember from chapter one is Christmases at our home. They weren't very joyful. When I think of Christmas, it was my mom in the sewing room working like crazy to make our gifts and my dad at the pawn shop trying to pawn off things to live and to make Christmas. So I don't know why hardship comes up. Was it? Sadness a little bit. Yeah, very hard. Was it a hardship? Was there sadness? Mm Mm-hmm. And as you think about that now and you hear yourself say that, what does that feel like? It's sad. It's really sad. And maybe the second chapter would even be more so of that because I think I would remember things that happened then more Mm -hmm. as well. But those are things. My husband said Christmas is like the happiest time of the year. And when we were first married, he just couldn't understand why I wasn't excited Mm -hmm. and there was just a lot of stress in the air. So what would you name chapter two then, if there was a little mm-hmm. bit more wow. of that? <clears throat> wow. I don't want to say misery, because there were some good things. It's interesting because I have different memories than my two younger sisters. Mm-hmm. I had a bedroom upstairs. They had bedrooms downstairs. So I witnessed a lot of the arguments the fights, the sadness, and they didn't. And I'm grateful for that. And they've got completely different memories of growing up. Mm-hmm. How did uh, that affect you? You know, I learned a lot of appreciation for my mom. She would work multiple jobs. My dad had a heart attack when I was 15 or 16. From what I remember, After he had a heart attack, they took him to Salt Lake City. That's where you went back then in the 80s when you had something like that happen. And then when my mom was gone, they came to like take the house, take car, you know, just all of these things that I wasn't aware of. I just remember um, stickers on things. And I guess that's to mark that maybe they weren't paid for or something. I'm not sure. And then what my mom went through to save the things that were ours. And that's when we found out that a lot of the bills weren't paid and my dad had drank a lot and, you know, done other things maybe with some of the funds. But at the same time, I think I learned at 16 that I could work and I could pay for things myself, take some of the pressure off my mom maybe. And I think that's where I got work ethic. And then during all those hard times, we could go to my grandma's house. We went to my grandma's house often and felt even more love and help and probably even financial help. Of course, help to have somebody there after school, I think. And Sounds like it was a safe haven Yeah, in a sense, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. The more I hear you tell your story now, the more I understand how important your grandmother really was mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. She, I guess in a real sense, helped rescue mm-hmm. you. 
Right. And, yeah. And there are times in all of our lives where we need somebody to rescue us. And had she not been there for you, yeah, what do you think it might oh. be like today? Well, I look at my older sister's lives and they really didn't have anybody. Didn't have a stable father figure in their home. I think that it was different with their mother. I don't know the details, but I think it was really hard. And mm -hmm. I think that men were important to their mother. And so I think they were you know, secondary or third or whatever. And they were abused and, and had nowhere to go. And I think that is really sad and hard. Yeah, I can tell just as you sit here and visit with me that it's a little emotional for you. It's a little eye-opening to even talk about, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, sometimes we have events in our life that we would just as soon push back and not mm -hmm. have to think about. Mm -hmm. But I feel that talking about some of these things is very therapeutic. It's very cathartic, if you will. It just opens our heart and allows us to feel those things. It almost makes you even understand why they were so quiet or distant from us. I know that comments were made by them that, oh, it looked like we had this great life. And it didn't seem like we did, but compared to their life, I think it did look like a pretty good life. I'm sure it looked wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, you've worked a lot with young women in callings that you've had. How do, how do you use your experiences from your past? Because you might be, in some cases, the only positive force in the lives of some of these girls. How do you do that? I think that I can understand people that come from homes that don't have active parents or just the traditional parents of, say, an LDS home. I remember when we would go to church, and when we were younger, we didn't go a lot. And I remember people saying that everybody could, say, have a temple marriage. And I would think, yeah, everybody but us, because that doesn't, you know. Right. And so I think I can understand how some people feel when they see everybody else living it and everybody else has that family and you don't. So I don't know. I think I can probably, I have something in common maybe with them mm -hmm. and can help them maybe feel a little less uncomfortable, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you seem to relate well to them. And I think that's a gift. I think that's pretty awesome. As I hear you talk about your past, my dad drank and he wasn't active in the church. And I remember as a boy going to church, 12-year-old boy, go to priesthood meeting and I'd look around and all the boys were sitting with their dads and I wasn't. And that really bothered me. And it wasn't until many years later when that changed, not long before he passed away, a few years before that. But I remember sitting next to him in a priesthood meeting, looking around at all the 12-year-olds, thinking, yeah, now I know what that feels like. It's pretty awesome. And sometimes we feel singled out. Sometimes we feel like people judge. I don't know if that was your case, but I certainly know that those experiences that you've had, you've turned it into something positive. As being active now, mm -hmm. I can only imagine what some of the conversations were at like bishopric meetings and say our family, because I think we were quite a concern. And the way the ward reached out and everything to show us that they loved us. And I appreciated that. And it made such a difference to me. And now functioning in a family that is active in a ward 
and participates, it helps you appreciate the care and the concern that a bishopric has for the entire ward boundary. Right. So two questions here kind of combine, they kind of dovetail with each other. First one is, what did you think of yourself as a teenager growing up? Oh my gosh. I was trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up just not active LDS and tried to find people that would accept me, which were usually in those days the hoods and the partiers, you know. So the, the way I thought of myself was not a lot. And I think I found people that would show me attention in the wrong ways, you know. And I think in a lot of ways, it was just wanting acceptance that maybe I didn't get at home, maybe from my dad or whatever. Yeah. Feeling of love and belonging. Mm -hmm. That's one of the Mm -hmm. five most basic needs in human life is to feel love and belonging. And yet dad did love us and showed us love once in a while and probably the best way he could. Mm -hmm. I think he did the best he could because he had a father that left him when he was two. So, you know, I think he did the best he could with what he had growing up. I love to hear you say that because you could just as easily say, I was the way I was because of him. You know, there's been a central theme through several of the podcasts that I've done about Mm -hmm. victim versus victor. Right, yeah. Being a victim or being a product. And I love that you've taken that road. Yeah, one of your podcasts, I just remember, I think that's when I texted you, was you can let your past define who you are or make you who you are. And I think I saw that my older sisters. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling myself when I was young married, and I think I found myself maybe treating my husband like I saw the way my dad was treated sometimes. And I was like, okay, we're going to stop this. You know, so it didn't do those things, but that's just what I had learned or whatever. And I was like, I got to change this mm-hmm. because he's a good man. And, you know, a moment ago I said it was a two part question that dovetailed. The other half of the dovetail is this How do you feel about yourself now? How do you wow. see yourself? Hmm. Definitely worth more. I can see my worth. I can see my worth as a teenager, even that I didn't see then. I hope that I'm a help to others. Somebody that somebody could feel that they could come to me if they needed help or comfort or love. I kind of see myself as somebody that can kind of protect others that maybe grew up like me or I don't know. You kind of have like that my grandma. Sense. Yeah, like your grandma. You want <laughs> to be know. that grandma. No, that's that's awesome. You want to play that role that your grandma played. Mm-hmm. How do you think you're doing with that? Well, it's interesting because my grandkids aren't growing up like I did. So they don't need those kind of things. But my grandmother, the things we did with her and how active she was with us are some of my fondest memories. And so I want to have experiences with them and I want to make the memories with them. And I have a couple of grandkids that are now 13 and 15. And once they get a certain age, they don't want to hang out with uh-huh. grandma anymore, you know, <laughs> and I knew that would happen, but I want to have memories with them when they're younger that they can remember that they were loved. Yeah. And that can help them. I think that's the key. Your grandchildren may not need at the level of what you needed, but what do they need? Love. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're highly qualified to give that love. 
and affection and belonging and all of the above. <laughs> Ray's husband, Sid, is here in the room with us, and I'm going to have him step up to the mic here. And I'm going to have him toot Ray's horn for just a second. <laughs> he may wish that maybe I quit doing so much stuff with the grandkids <laughs> pay more attention. <laughs> so, Sid, you've listened to what your wife has said. You've heard her stories. You've, you've listened to the things she's been able to share. What would you offer to her in a way that would show her that perhaps you understand what she's been through? And what kind of support are you to her? Well... I'm not always as rambunctious to have the grandkids over as she is, but I know that her patriarchal blessing talks about the nurturing job she's going to have with her children or grandchildren. And so I see the role that she plays in helping their parents give them the things that they need. And we're talking about love and we're talking about security we're talking about stability. You know, their parents do a really good job, but there are certain roles that only grandma can fill, and there are certain roles that only grandpa can fill. And so it's been a bit of a learning process for me, but I try really hard to support Ray and be as involved as I can be because I know how much it means to her. So, and I love it too, Grover. Oh, I mean, you do. There's I nothing better than the grandkids, so... That's right. But, but there is a limit sometimes where I'm like, okay, I just need a breath. <laughs> <laughs> what advice can you give to other couples who are empty nesters, have grandkids? You know, I don't really have the ability to just stop everything that I've got going on in my life. And so Ray's been really good at helping the grandkids understand that, and even our kids, that... Sometimes I've got things that I need to be doing, and I can't always drop everything. But just because they're there, and I'm engaged in work or, you know, whatever the case may be, it, just because I'm not giving them 100% of my attention doesn't mean that I don't love them. And because of that, Ray understands and gives me the ability to function as I need to. And in return, I think that there are times where I just say, you know what, I know the to-do list is long, but it's time for you to take your belt off and put down your tools and just go sit down and enjoy your kids and your grandkids for the next hour or two. Mm -hmm. So I try to do that and somehow we make it work. What do you think about that, Ray? I think that it's important to make memories with your kids and good memories. And so I think that's perfect. Making memories. Memories yeah. and quality yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about it, a memory doesn't have to cost anything. Right. A memory can just be the fact that you're spending time with them. And when they grow up, they'll remember that. And Grandpa took time out for an hour mm -hmm. to sit and watch them ride their scooters or ride their bikes. And I think they'll remember that as well. Well, I think both of you are good examples of being a good grandparent. So I myself appreciate that. I mean, I, I see posts that you make of sleepovers and grandmas. I don't know what you call it. You call it something. Grandma camp. Grandma camp. Yeah. Yeah. What the heck is grandma camp? I actually noticed one of my cousin's wives that held grandma camp. And she would just make, I don't know if it was a week or a weekend, she'd give it a theme and the kids came over and they would do grandma camp. And I just thought it was the greatest idea. So I 
texted her and said, are you okay if I do the same thing? And so yeah, grandma camp is where the kids come and the parents are not there. And we sometimes do science experiments and sometimes we play games and sometimes we make shirts and it is just grandma camp, just fun. And the kids ask for it every year. And it's just about them, I guess. And they just enjoy it. And sometimes it's hard. <laughs> it's a lot. A lot of work, isn't it's it? It's a lot, but yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, it's worth yeah, it. It's totally worth it. And they feel important yeah. and, and they are important. And Is your grandma still alive? She isn't. She died mm-hmm. maybe two years ago. Well, just hearing you talk and seeing the glow on your face when you talk about your grandma. I think she'd be very proud of you right now to know that you have taken that role yourself and learned from her. And you've carried on the tradition of loving and caring for grandchildren. Mm. Is there even a better role in life? I don't think so. I think when you're a parent and you're trying to raise your kids and you're stressed and you're trying to make life work, it's hard. And so as a grandparent... You do things differently than you did with your kids. They can touch books around the house and eat in places you wouldn't let your children eat. And you have an opportunity to just be more accepting, I think. And you almost get to try to do over or do better than what you did with your kids. (laughs) I think that's a good way to put it. One of my grandsons spent the night the other night, and I had to go to work the next morning. But he didn't have school. And so he called me to kind of in a roundabout way find out what grandpa was doing. And I said, I got to go to work. And he said, oh, well, I don't have school. And I said, well, do you want to sleep over? Yeah. You want to go to work with me early in the morning? Yeah. So we got up early. And I mean, really early. I leave here quarter after six. And uh, he was up and ready before I was. And we hadn't even gotten down to the at the end of our driveway yet to hit the road before he said, Grandpa, thank you for taking me to work with you. And those are those moments, you know. He's going to remember that the rest of his life. Well, he sat with me in front of the classroom and listened to my lectures for two hours. So, yeah, I'm sure he was bored into a coma. But I, you know what? They will. But they he knew uh-huh. he was important. And-, yeah. and that's what you're doing with your grandkids. They may not remember a lot of what you said to them. But down the road, they're going to say, gosh, Grandma Ray made me feel important. Grandma Ray is the bomb, you know. And I think that's the best tribute you can ever have given to you. I think so, too. You're doing your best. That's awesome. Well, one last question, and we'll wrap this up tonight. But any overall arching message or theme would you like to leave with those who will be listening to this podcast? You know, the saying, it takes a village. I think that the more love for your children and your grandchildren, the more people that can love them and accept them is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I've always thought you can't have too many grandmas. You can have a neighbor that's a grandma. You can have step parents that are grandmas and grandpas. And you can't have too many. And I think that they all can offer you different things. And it takes a village to raise kids. And you know, many people can be positive influences on your kids and your grandkids. And I know that that made a really big difference to me and could have made a difference to my older sisters to feel loved and to have maybe some opportunities. 
So use the village, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a great message. And you probably shudder to think what your life might be like without grandma. Yeah. I'm sure it's uh, yeah. powerful. And, you know, and my mom worked so hard to do the best she could. And that's another person that taught me hard work. And she had the help of her mother, the village, you know, the help of the village mm-hmm. while she was working her tail off, yeah. you know? Yeah. What an example. Yeah. Well, Ray, thanks so much for taking your time out of your evening to come and visit with me. It means a lot that you would do that. And hopefully to my listeners, you've been able to pick up some valuable insight from tonight's discussion and some good takeaways. So thank you for listening. And remember to speak up, speak out, and speak often. Bye-bye.